while the people pressed upon him to hear the word of God, he was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, and he saw two boats by the lake, but the fishermen had gone out of them and were washing their nets. Getting into one of the boats, which was Simon's, he asked him to put out a little from the land, and he sat down and taught the people from the boat. And when he had ceased speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered, Master, we toiled all night and took nothing. But at your word, I will let down the nets. And when they had done this, they enclosed a great shoal of fish. And as their nets were breaking, they beckoned to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And then they saw, they came and filled both the boats so that they began to sink. But when Simon Peter saw it, he fell down at Jesus' knees, saying, Depart from me, for I am a sinful man, O Lord. For he was astonished in all that were there with him at the catch of fish which they had taken. And so also were James and John, sons of Zebedee, who were partners with Simon. And Jesus said to Simon, Do not be afraid. Henceforth you will be catching men. And when they had brought their boats to land, they left everything and followed him. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. James Green wrote a book entitled, If There's One Thing I've Learned. And throughout it was a collection of stories of lessons from different people. And one of those was a young man named Jason. He now is all of 22 years old. When he was 22, he talked about how his neighbors had come home from a month-long safari in Africa. They'd come home and they had so many stories and so many pictures. And the more that he listened to these stories the more excited that he became. And the more he listened and the more pictures he saw, he finally felt like he was hearing a whisper, come to Africa. It just kept growing louder. And he got so excited about it. And in the past, whenever he would get excited about something like this, well, he would always back away from it. Because by nature, he was someone who worried, someone who was always afraid. He never would do those things that really stretched you or outside the box. But this time it was different. And in the end, it was that fear of not going was greater than the fear of going. And suddenly he found himself making phone calls, asking questions. How much is it going to cost? And as he began to get the answers, he found himself even more excited. He decided that the cost even though it was high, was not as great as the cost of regret if he didn't go. So he made a reservation, put down some money, started saving, making his payments. Fifteen months later, he's 23 years old. He was hopping on a plane in order to fly to New York and from New York um, to Rwanda. And he was scared to death. Scared to death. He was all alone. He wasn't traveling with anybody. He didn't know anybody on the safari. He would be meeting them there in Rwanda, but he didn't know anybody. And so it was. He flew and he landed in Rwanda. 
And he began to wonder for the next three weeks, who will he talk to? What's going to happen? What happens to him? Who cares what happens to him? He would wind up seeing Mount Kilimanjaro. He would wind up seeing the Serengeti Plains. He would see elephants and zebras and giraffes and water buffalo. I mean, it exceeded his expectations and he loved it. But when he came near the end of these three weeks, he was one of four tourists who were chosen for the gorilla climb. Now what this was, the next day they would get up early in the morning and they would climb this mountain. It would be all day long climbing over rocks and trees and getting up high. Getting up to where they would come to the steel corrugated building. And it had a dirt floor. It was just a place to kind of get out of the weather and be able to stay. And you would spend the night there and then before dawn they would take you out and put you in certain places And then you had to stay. You had to stand there and not run or speak. You had to go and be in these places because they knew gorillas were going to be coming through. And sure enough, the next morning they got into position and as sun began to come up, he said you could hear the gorillas coming. And then you could smell them. And then as they got closer, you finally saw them. And here came all these gorillas. And he said there was this adolescent female gorilla who came up to within three feet of him and just looked him straight in the eye. And he said, looking into the eyes of this gorilla, they looked so human. It was amazing. He said, we just stood there looking at each other till finally she moved on. He said, an hour went by in an instant. It seemed like only a moment. And finally they were gone and they came and collected us and we came back down the mountain. But Jason said, I knew that my life was changed forever. It was changed forever. I started thinking about all the things that I would miss if I hadn't decided to go. I decided right then I would not let fear control my life because I thought of all that I would miss if I had decided not to go. I've always thought about Helen Keller. Forty years I've been quoting her when she said, Life is an adventure. Life is a daring adventure or it is nothing. Have you made the decision to go? Or have you let fear control your life? To keep you from singing your song, painting your painting, living your dream. Are you controlled by your fears? Or have you made the decision to go? This morning, I want to continue this sermon series in matters of life and death and life. Last week we said it's the beginning of the season of Lent. And in the season of Lent, we said it's a time for self-reflection. It's a time of introspection. It's a time for examining our lives. And this is not for the purpose of beating yourself up. It's not about trying to feel guilty. It's about just looking at your life 
and asking yourself, are you living an abundant life? Last week, we looked at the scripture of where Jesus said, I am the good shepherd. And the good shepherd lays down his life for his sheep. You are my sheep. I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. And so the question really becomes, are we living an abundant life? And we want to try to look at that. And what I want to think about this week is, are we living an abundant life? Or are we being controlled by our fear? The fears that keep us from going. I love our scripture this morning because it deals with this issue. The scripture needs a little background to it because this is where Jesus was beginning his ministry in the northern part of Israel around the Sea of Galilee. And he's there around the Sea of Galilee. And and if you've been there, you know that it slopes up on many sides. There's a sheer rock cliff on another side. It's a beautiful place. Well, everybody was talking about Jesus. They had heard of this man from Nazareth who seemed to be teaching and preaching and he was healing. Hundreds of people had come out and Jesus had been healing them and it became overwhelming. So much so it says he wanted to get away and to be alone. He got away for the night, but the next morning the crowds hunted him down and they found him. And now he was down on the seashore and there were two boats. Simon and Andrew, Peter, James and John. They were fishermen. They'd fished all night. They'd caught nothing. They were cleaning their nets. And Jesus came to Simon and said, Would you put out from the shore so I can speak to the crowd? There was a scientific reason for doing this. When you have still water, it acts as a reflecting board, a sound board. And so if you had people on the side of a sloped hill and the water was calm then you could go out and speak and it would amplify your voice and more people could hear. So I asked Simon, would you put out from shore a little bit? And Simon did. Now now understand, this wasn't the first time Simon had seen Jesus. People in that area, if they had wanted to see him, they had hunted him down, they had heard him talk, they had seen him heal. But to be with him, close, face to face... No, he put out in his boat and now Jesus talked to the crowd to teach them. And Peter literally, or Simon is sitting there literally at his feet listening. Now you can imagine what an incredible thrill that was. And the Bible doesn't tell us, but I can only imagine the message that Jesus was sharing that morning. It must have been a message calling people to an abundant life. It must have been a message that would be challenging them to something new and something better, a new way to live. And then when he was through with the message, he turned to Simon and said, would you put out into deep waters? I know you fished all night and you didn't catch anything, but would you put out into deep waters? Simon says, we have fished all night, we've caught nothing, but if you ask us, we will do it. And he pushed out into deep waters, they cast out their net And suddenly they caught more fish than the net could hold. And so he calls to James and John and they bring their boat and they're filling both boats with so many fish they're about to sink. And suddenly it says, Peter falls to his feet and says, Depart from me, O Lord, 
for I am a sinful man. Now, that statement doesn't seem to make sense at first light. That doesn't make sense. But think about it. If Jesus had just been talking about a new way to live, an abundant life, challenging people to something more, and then you go out and you see this miraculous catch of fish, the power of the one whose presence you're in, Peter had to look at his own life and think, can I live that life you were just talking about? And he was afraid. He was afraid. He fell to his knees to say, I'm just a fisherman. I can't do that. I'm not smart enough. I'm not strong enough. I make mistakes. I'm not a good person. I can't do that. Depart from me, O Lord. I'm a sinful man. We know the emotion was a fear that he had because the first thing Jesus says to him is, Simon, do not be afraid. Don't be afraid. I think as you and I begin this season of Lent, what I would hope for us this week is that you and I would look at our lives and we would ask what fears are holding us back from living an abundant life. And know that it is Jesus who says to us, don't be afraid. That's what I want us to think about this morning. And there's really just three things I want to say. First of all, Peter would ultimately confront his fears, leave the boat, and follow Jesus. Initially, Peter's afraid. I can't do this. Depart from me. But by the time that they get to shore, he has changed his mind. He literally decides the fear of not going is greater than the fear of going. What will I miss if I don't go? And he gets to shore and don't kid yourself, he is still scared to death. But he confronts his fears and makes the decision to leave the boat and to follow Christ. I don't know if you've ever heard of the name Cullen Jones. Cullen Jones really is an amazing guy. Cullen Jones stands about 6'3", broad shoulder. He's a big man. He's African-American. He's a good-looking guy, very smart, a man of great faith. But most importantly, he helps to run a foundation called Make a Splash. Make a Splash is a foundation that travels around the United States to help inner city, mainly kids of minorities, learn how to swim. Because Cullen Jones will tell you that the statistics show that an African-American child is three times more likely to drown than a white child. There's been lots of studies about why this is so, and the number one reason is fear. Fear of the water. They have not had access to public pools, and there is a strong fear of water. Number two reason is the lack of parental support. Because parents don't know how to swim. And so they're afraid for their kids to go near the water. And the kids grow up to be parents and they don't know how to swim and they don't want to get their kids to go near the water. And it becomes this vicious cycle. So he goes into these inner cities to teach children how to swim. Now the reason he's passionate about this is because when he was five years old, 
his mom and dad, they were living in New Jersey, and they wanted a family outing, and they went to a swim park there in Philadelphia. And they went to this swim park and were so excited, and mom and dad couldn't swim. Cullen couldn't swim. But his father said, look, I'm going to ride down one of these slides. I'll be down here waiting for you. And Cullen, when you come down, whatever you do, hold on to that inner tube. And then his mom said, I'll come down right behind you. And so dad went down, and then Cullen came down, and when he hit, he lost control of the inner tube, and he went straight to the bottom. His father was flailing around, but didn't know how to swim, couldn't do anything. And Cullen said, I'll always remember that feeling. I, I couldn't go up. I couldn't get air. It began to hurt so bad, and then it went black. His mother was screaming and running around the pool, screaming. The lifeguard then saw what was happening, jumped in, pulled Cullen out from the bottom of this pool. They had to do CPR and mouth-to-mouth, and in the end, they saved this little five-year-old boy. Now, can you imagine how frightened this mother and father must have been? Can you imagine what it did to this little five-year-old boy and his attitude towards water? And so what was the message they gave? Three days later, his mother had him signed up for swimming lessons. Not just Colin, but mom and dad as well. They were all going to take swimming lessons. She would confront those fears. And what Colin discovered was he loved swimming. He was great. So much so, he soon joined a local swim team. He went on to a Catholic high school where he starred. The coach had connections with North Carolina. He became, got a scholarship to go to college at North Carolina on the swim team where he excelled and soon he would find himself in the Olympics on the 4 by 100 with Michael Phelps winning a gold medal. And then he would go to London, the next Olympics, and there he would win three individual medals, gold and two silver. He is the only African-American swimmer in America to have ever held a world record. Four medals from the Olympics. And now he gives his time in order to try to help other children confront their fears and learn how to swim. And why did he do it? Because there was a mom who said, we're going to confront our fears. We're going to go. We're going to go. When Simon was on the boat, his first reaction was, I can't do this. I can't live an abundant life you call us to. You are this person who is so amazing. I can't do it. He was afraid. By the time he got to shore, he confronted his fears. He left the boat and he followed Jesus. What are the fears that are holding you back from living an abundant life? Secondly, Peter would follow and sometimes he had failed. But Jesus was always there to say, Will you try again? This past week, like all of us, we had a little unanticipated time, and I had time to do a little more reading than usual. I was flipping through and seeing some of my favorite books, and 
You know, one of my favorite books that I hadn't read in a long time was Have a Little Faith by Mitch Albom. I love reading Mitch Albom. You may remember him. He wrote Tuesdays with Maury. He's a, Detroit, a, writer, a sports writer for the Detroit Free Press and a successful author. Then his book, uh, Have a Little Faith, he talks about how he was growing up there in New Jersey. He was a part of a, of a temple there. He was Jewish, very involved in the faith growing up. But he went off to college, and so often when you go off to college, you kind of drift from the faith, got busy with other things, got busy with a career, and he really had not participated in his faith in quite some time till his rabbi that he'd grown up with called him and said, Mitch, when I die, would you do my funeral? And Mitch said, I wasn't used to doing funerals, and I thought, all right, if this rabbi wants me to do that, and he thought he must be old and must be very sick and, and I need to go start learning things about him. And he said the truth of the matter is he was in great health and he would live for years. But as I started going back and seeing him and we started talking, he roped him back into the faith. And he said he's a very tricky rabbi. <laughs> but he started going back to kind of reconnect with his rabbi and and so he said, I thought I got to figure some things out if I'm going to do this funeral. And he asked him, he said, so how did you get your call to ministry? Did you see a burning bush? Did you hear a small voice? And Albert Lewis, his rabbi, laughed and said, no, I didn't see a burning bush and I didn't hear a small voice. I was going to be a history teacher. And I decided I'd teach about God. So I went to seminary. Oh, well, how did it go? Did it go well? No, not really. What do you mean? And Al began to explain. He had been there studying. He was smart enough to make the grades. But after he'd been there for a little while, it was the dean of the seminary. He said, I'll never forget, Louis Finkelstein came to see me and said, a bunch of professors and I got together and talked, and we've decided that you really don't have what it takes to be a good rabbi. Mitch was stunned. Growing up, Albert Lewis, his rabbi said, man, when he preached, you sat on the edge of your seats. He was so kind, so compassionate to children and adults. He's thinking, how could that be? So, so Al, what did you do? I dropped out. What could I do? And so Al Lewis made the decision that summer he'd go and be a youth counselor at a religious camp for the summer, trying to figure out what to do next. And so kids would come in June that'd be there the entire summer. And Al said when he got there that summer, there was this kid, Phineas. Phineas was a teenager who was just kind of a rebellious teenager. He said, if you had the group here, Phineas would be over here. If you said, let's all stand up, Phineas would sit down. If you said, let's all sit down, Phineas would stand up. He was just that kind of kid. He was going to do exactly opposite what you ask. And Al understood. And so he worked to befriend Phineas and to talk to him about life and faith and just love on him through the summer. And this kid that summer found himself, went through a change, and when he went back home, he was a different kid. And when his parents saw him come back home, they were thrilled. Who did we just get back home? They were so thrilled that they called Al and said, would you come to dinner? Well, now, what Al did not know was that his father was Max Carduchin. 
And Max Cardushan was one of the leaders in the conservative tradition of the, of the Jewish faith. He was somebody. And he went to his house. And Max and his wife are going, wow, we sent you one boy and we got home a man. What a difference. You're amazing working with youth. And Max said, this is incredible what happened. Al, have you ever thought about going to seminary? Al said he choked on his food. It took him a second to get his composure. And finally he said, I did and I failed. And there was this long silence there at the table until finally Max said, would you try again? Yes. Well, with Max Cardushan on your side, it wasn't a problem getting back into seminary. And now with him as his mentor, he did incredibly well. He graduated from seminary, and he was appointed and sent to this small little congregation. He would serve there for 50 years, the only place he would ever serve. And when he retired, it would be in the thousands. An incredibly effective ministry, blessing lives, changing the world that almost didn't happen if there hadn't been somebody to say, would you try again? I think of Peter who followed Jesus and Jesus came walking on the water and Peter was there in the boat and said, can I come to you? And he got out of the boat and it says he saw the wind and he was afraid and he sank. Or there was the night when Jesus said, you're going to betray me. You'll all run away. And Peter spoke up and said, everybody's going to run away. I'm not going to run away. A couple hours later, Peter would be sitting around a campfire saying, I've never seen the guy. No, Peter would fail. But Jesus was always there to say, will you try again? This Lent, as you and I examine our lives and we see those moments where we have failed, I know you can hear Jesus say, will you try again? And so third, what we see is, is that in the awareness of death, Peter learned how to live in the moment with Christ. He had followed Jesus and then suddenly Jesus was taken, crucified and was dead. Everything changed. Death was real. And then there was the resurrection. And when Peter comes to know the resurrected Christ and discovers that he is accepted and loved unconditionally, it changes the way that he lives life. As I said to you, when you live in the awareness of death and God's grace, it can change what you're doing every day. You realize you don't have to be perfect. You don't have to do it all right. There is God's grace to help you live in the moment. 
You know, you and I struggle so often with perfectionism. We all want to do it right. We want to get it perfect. And it's that fear of not being that way that so often makes us anxious and afraid and we don't try. We've been talking about social media in the last sermon series. You know, it didn't exist 11 years ago. And social media does all these great things, but some of the things aren't so great. And lots of studies are being conducted right now that show social media has enabled us to compare ourselves with other people more readily. That it is so much easier for us to get online and, and maybe you're a mom who's going, you know, I threw a birthday party for my kid, but it wasn't anything like this birthday party. I didn't do it good enough. Or, or you're looking at your life and your career. My, my career isn't going as well as somebody else. Or this family had a great time on vacation. We didn't have that good a time. You start looking at your life and it is so easy to compare it with others and you're not as perfect, you're not as good. And it causes such a struggle. We've always struggled with that. It's just social media heightens our ability to feel bad about ourselves. And so we become afraid to try. There's something about realizing death is real and can happen any time And then feeling God's grace that frees you to live abundantly in the present moment. You see this in Peter. There's a new sense of confidence, a new sense of compassion, a new sense of strength after the resurrection. I've enjoyed watching the Olympics. I I hope you have. I mean, tonight it's all going to come to an end, the closing ceremonies. What I always love is getting the behind the scenes. And and two of those people I've really enjoyed watching and learning more about are Lindsey Vaughn and Michaela Schifrin. They are the women's downhill skiers for the United States. And they're two of the best, if not the best, in the world. Lindsey Vaughn, what an amazing story. I mean, She is the old lady of downhill skiing. She's 33. 33 years old. When she was back just a teenager, she won a gold medal and her life has been incredible. 81 wins on the World Cup. More than any other woman. Only six shy of a new record that would eclipse the men as well. She hopes to get that this year. She's had this phenomenal career, the best woman downhill skier in American history. And, and she was talking about how this was so meaningful. Her grandfather fought in Korea. She loved her grandfather. He cheered her on. He died a couple months ago. And so she had some of his ashes with her there at these Olympic Games to spread some in Korea. She so wanted to win. Everyone said, will Lindsay have a, win a gold medal in the end? She won bronze. And she is thrilled. But so many people said, ah, she won a bronze? She didn't win a gold? You know, that's, that's the way we are. She became the oldest woman to win an Olympic medal in, in alpine skiing. That's incredible. She's had such a hard time. She missed Olympics four years ago. Because in her skiing, she wound up having a crash and blew out the ACL in one leg and then crashed and blew out the ACL in the other leg. She broke her arm. She crashed her shoulder. She's had a real period here of window of years that she really wasn't able to race. 
But she rehabbed and came back for the Olympics. And then you have Michaela Schifrin. Everybody says Lindsey Vaughn's passing the baton to Michaela. Michaela's only 22, and she's incredible. She wins, wins the gold in more than half of the races she's in. She's done it seven times in a row. That is unheard of. That's not human. She was there at the Olympics, and people were saying she's going to win three, four, five gold medals. And she won one, and then she didn't win in her second special event. And then she won silver in the third event, had to skip another event. And people are going, oh, man, what a bummer for her. She only won gold and silver in two different events. No, it's an incredible Olympics for Michaela. But Michaela at 22 is willing to talk about this pressure of doing it right, being perfect. When you become good at something, it doesn't get easier. The pressure to be perfect intensifies. And for her, it is more difficult than ever before. And the nerves are so great. I saw an interview with her two years ago. She said, I went through a moment where I was thinking, maybe I shouldn't do this. I was so worked up and nervous and worried about doing the wrong thing. The best downhill skier in the world worrying about doing the wrong thing, not being perfect. Those nerves are still so great. If you were watching, she was up at the starting gate and she was throwing up from her nerves. I might not do it perfect. That fear can control us all. You forget what it means to live in this moment with God's grace. Lindsay Vaughn was talking about Michaela and she said, It's incredible what she's able to accomplish. She's so young and she approaches ski racing much different than pretty much anyone else. I think she can ski for another 10 years and have a lot more medals and a lot more World Cups. But as I saw in my career... Things can change quite quickly, and you never know what's going to happen. That's why you have to appreciate every moment that you have. Things can change quite quickly. Death is real. It's why you have to appreciate every moment that you have. To live in the moment with Christ... So you don't have to be perfect and do it all just right. No, you live in the moment. And that enables you to confront your fears. And if you fail, you will hear Christ say, Will you try again? I'm convinced this Lent, we all can hear the Good Shepherd say, I have come that you might have life and have it more abundantly. Don't be afraid. It's in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Let each of us lift up our own silent prayer.
Amen.